Siddharth. I am Siddharth Bonga. Um, there's Nasher, Andrew McGlashan, who's who at around quarter past nine last night let out a cheer that 10 overs of bowl and he doesn't have to come back to MCG. Nasher. <laughs> And it was raining this morning, so I'm not sure. Um, obviously, it's okay now, but um, yeah, certainly the weather played ball yesterday. It sort of threaded the needle, I think, Melbourne. You could see the rain going to the north and the south, and there's massive floods around Victoria and New South Wales today. So we got we got very lucky. Someone won, someone won that final plate beyond me yesterday. Yeah. Um, yeah, very glad we didn't have to come back today. It would not have been anything like the atmosphere um, of 80,000. The G yesterday, um, and it was a it was a finish that the tournament deserved. It, it deserved a, a proper finish in front of a good crowd, and it got that. It really was Kudrat Kanizam. Next to him is Alex Malcolm, the voice of a proper commentator. Insights, really good insights on cricket and other sport. He comes with an experience of being at big footy finals. How how's this welcome been for you? Uh, it's been fantastic. It's been fantastic to experience. It's the first World Cup I've experienced as a cricket journalist, and. I've had an odd World Cup in the sense that I've been based in Melbourne the whole time as the person who lives here and, and it's been the wettest October slash November that I've experienced in my time here and uh, the state itself has experienced in over 50 years but we've seen some magical games of cricket even that some of the games down in Geelong were excellent thinking back to a couple of the upsets Namibia beating Sri Lanka and then also the UAE beating Namibia to send the Netherlands through which had the on-flow effect of, of giving Pakistan the great run that it got. So it's been an amazing tournament to follow. That was an emotional night and we will come back to that. And first, let, let's introduce the youngest of the lot, Daniel Rasul, who should be ashamed he was not born during the 92 World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> so all these comparisons we've spent a week making meant nothing to Daniel. No. <laughs> who yeah. was Wazim Akram? <laughs> uh, well, a poor man, Sam Curran. <laughs> yeah, well, quite, yes. Another left arm quick getting a, a Man of the Match award in a World Cup. Yeah, I've had, I've had a slightly more hectic World Cup in the sense I've been to four or five different cities. I think all of them on the East Coast. Yeah. Every city other than Perth and Geelong, basically. And then in Melbourne, I thought this was supposed to be the venue where I'd enjoy cricket the most. But then the only match I end up properly fully covering is the World Cup final, where Pakistan end up turning in a slightly damp performance. The rain stays away, so that's another parallel missed with 1992 against England. <laughs> so yeah, I think we'll return to those. But for now, I think it's very much 2022 that's the focus now. Alex, could you can you describe a little for our listeners that final day when you were in touch with how the Netherlands, their emotions, how they were keeping pace with what was happening in that night game, which would have seen them through to the next round. Yeah, it was an incredible night. I, I had the pleasure of uh, getting to know Scott Edwards over, over a couple of years and his father, Don, actually, just through pure happenstance. And uh, I was able to chat with Scott for an interview we did uh, in Brisbane when they were preparing in the lead up for this tournament. And they, they were very bullish about how they were going to go in this tournament, having had the disappointment of 12 months ago and obviously had played reasonably well in Geelong, but hadn't done enough in the chases to get their net run rate up high enough. Uh, and they looked like they were going to go out despite performing reasonably well in the two games, winning against UAE and uh, beating Namibia, but they'd lost to Sri Lanka, who had a better net run rate. And that afternoon, that evening, they were expecting, fully expecting to go out of the World Cup, having won twice and lost once. Uh, and... Namibia uh, made a mess of the chase against the UAE and I was in touch with Scott as he was watching in the stands on the opposite side of the ground and at just every wicket the 
excitement began to build and you could see the excitement coming through in a couple of the WhatsApp messages and then I watched him sprint out of the ground away from his friends to join his teammates at the hotel just as uh, I think there was seven for 70 Namibia and suddenly the game was almost won and then seeing those scenes uh, from the rooms when the the win was confirmed and they were through to the Super 12s was just exactly what the the World Cup's all about, you know, that the passion, we know some of these nations work so hard just to get here, but then a win like that through, or a, a situation like that, which if you run the simulation maybe a hundred times, it wouldn't happen 99 of them, but it gives them an incredible ride and then they go on to have a huge impact on the World Cup. It was it was a spectacular night to be a part of. The, the tickets were booked for departure next morning, weren't they? That was, yeah. So the, most of the squad was going to head back to Amsterdam. Some were heading uh, to different parts of the world. Scott was staying here in Melbourne to stay with his family. So they were planned to, to leave the World Cup and then in the space of 20 overs, they were on to the Super 12. And then, of course, Netherlands returned the favour later in the tournament yeah. by uh, ensuring that Pakistan <laughs> didn't have to take their flight out when they'd initially planned to, and it was South Africa getting on the plane instead so they were involved in a number of the twists and turns of this last it's three all, weeks all the law of nature <laughs> <laughs> do you, daniel do you feel sufficiently orientalized <laughs> so i ended up i start ended up i started the world cup in hobart which I, I actually did want to visit hobart more than geelong so i was quite glad about that but then i think uh we were wondering at some point which uh group in the first round was better i think hobart might have shaded it partially because i think there's slightly more elements in play in terms of the bigger story so west indies going out was a big one i think ireland turned in one of the performances of this tournament really and uh, obviously the f- the ireland scotland game i thought was quite special in its own way because um uh, ireland looked uh, ireland i think had a three percent chance of going through at that stage and they ended up chasing what still is, I think, the highest uh, total at this World Cup, 176. Alzari Joseph then keeping the West Indies alive with a great fast bowling performance against Zimbabwe, who went on to have a great tournament of their own. The Sikander Raza World Cup, yeah, as it Sikander, probably needs yeah. to be known. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the way he lit up that first half of the World at one point I think he was in the top five, both for runs scored and wickets taken, and doing it the highest strike rate and the best economy rate. So I think it doesn't get much better than that. But I think the Hobart leg after that, obviously, there's that one consequential game, consequences for both South Africa and Pakistan, where controversially they go off with five minutes or five minutes more, probably guaranteeing a South Africa win and passage through to the semi-finals, and that doesn't happen. So yeah, I think there's there's plenty going on in Geelong, with plenty going on in Hobart too. So I think the first round very much feels like a part of this World Cup rather than just a warm up to the real thing. Just just a big serious note before we move on to the Super Twelves is that. From the next World Cup, we uh, I think it's in 2024, we have more teams. But having said that, we have also, uh, ICC has also scrapped the ODI World League, mm. which means the these associate nations get fewer and fewer chances to feel part of the world. So it's it's a, I know it's a delicate balance for ICC to maintain and it's more onto the bigger member boards to be more generous and have a more inclusive World Cup. But I think that's the that's the reality we are left with now. It was a big thing that Scott Edwards actually spoke about um, in terms of the impact that the cricket they played in their home summer. They didn't win a game against West Indies, Pakistan, uh, New Zealand um, and England, um, but they didn't have their county players available um, and they had to look at the depth that they had in Netherlands cricket. And he, 
and he believes and there's evidence for how they've gone in this tournament that they're now benefiting from that because they had those guaranteed number of games. The big concern now is, as you say, Sid, that there's going to be no onus on these bigger full members um, to play these three-match one-day series. And actually a very good idea that uh, Paul Van Meekeren suggested. He's talked about it twice, once in a yeah. press conference we were in and then once again on a, on a recent podcast why don't touring teams stop off in the Netherlands on the way to an England tour? Um, I mean, I know Ireland are big on this idea as well, and Ireland have sort of benefited a little bit from this over the years. You've seen, like, India have played the odd game there, South Africa have played the odd game there. England obviously have this slightly odd relationship with them where they should probably play more than they do, but they do play each other a bit now. And Van Meekeren was saying, well, look, we've got excellent facilities, um, good pitches, um, come and play three one-dayers or whatever, even, even look, even play think about playing a four-day game if you're coming onto a test tour his point being that we're probably as good as if not better competition than the counties because counties these days often put out very scratch 11s for these games or it's a or it's not even a county side anymore anyway so i think there's some definite logic and some good argument in that whether it'll ever come to pass you never know tours obviously getting shorter and shorter these days teams want to be in and out as quick as they can but um they're gonna have to find ways to to compensate for those loss of of ODIs it's one of the yeah it's a real shame that Super League's going it was one of the expansionist ideas that I thought had actually worked really well in the World Cup where I think the associates give a better account of yeah. themselves than perhaps any other because of uh, there weren't there were very few actual blowouts and yeah. Afghanistan I think were the only side who didn't win a game and we all know their quality anyway they nearly beat and they almost beat, yeah. Yeah. and they made and those two washouts I mean they would have fancied beating Ireland and Potentially, pushing yeah. New Zealand close who knows so yes. um, yeah so if, they, if this was their last platform to really make the point that they deserve to play more cricket against the bigger teams and I think they made that point very well and, and just imagine the pressure they play under they get they get three days six matches They're, all the teams are playing three matches in three days and there are people in the boardrooms who are were just waiting for there to be one-sided matches and they can make the case for not expanding. Yeah, potentially they actually play more high-pressure games than a lot of the bigger well, nations who play what they would term meaningless bilateral. We think of even the teams like the PNG, Papua New Guinea, who aren't here, who nearly beat Zimbabwe and eliminated them and qualified for this tournament. So yeah, there's a lot of stories there that end up not being told because cricket continues to be a slightly close shop. There are, there are lively, livelihoods on the line for these players. There aren't for England or Australia Indian players. They lose a game, they'll... I mean, there's been a little bit of talk about how a few of the reactions of some of the bigger teams, <laughs> players in bigger teams that have gone out. One of them was Glenn Maxwell's comments where, and they were they were slightly misinterpreted after he'd said them. He wasn't he wasn't being as jovial as it was made out to be, but he was making the point that look, this time in what in three days' time they're playing an ODI yeah. against uh, perhaps a potentially hungover England team um, in Adelaide. Um, India no, he isn't playing. It, 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 well, he isn't playing now after an unfortunate broken leg. Yes, but. Um, India have flown over to over, flown over the Tasman to to play in New Zealand, who themselves only finished in the tournament two or three days ago. Um, so while it's all international cricket and it's it's important occasions and stuff, there is not there's not the consequence on win and loss that there is lower down the game. Yeah, well, Daniel's point about the qualifiers is exactly the point that Scott Edwards made as well. He talked about the team working through high-pressure scenarios in those qualifying games in Zimbabwe. And uh, they, he even gave an example of Buzz the Leader's 91. I think he got off 60 balls against the USA to get them through to the World Cup. They, 
they talked about the pressure of that situation in the lead-in. They had a team meeting where they asked Baz about how he would handle coming in early in the power play in a tight run chase, how he would approach it, and he walked them through. He walked his teammates through how he would, he would approach it, both technically and mentally, and he went out and executed. And the confidence they gave gained from playing in those high-pressure games, cutthroat knockout games all the time, is only benefiting them getting to this stage. And it's clearly proof that these nations need bigger platforms, bigger opportunities to grow the game. And T20, I think, is the best format for these nations to invest their time and energy into because it's the most volatile format and it probably gives them the best chances to be really competitive. So T20 cricket should be broad in that space in the global game, I think. And I don't think it's any um, any surprise or that kind of... And we don't know whether the deal will come off or whatever, but, I mean, Ricky Ponting picked out Bastolido as a player who he'd caught, caught his eye on in terms of his Hobart Hurricanes recruitment and kind of said, look, we might look at him as a replacement player. So there they've been in the spotlight um, at a good time of the year, obviously, in Australia for those BBL sides, for example, who are looking to fill gaps, but just more broadly, I mean... Um, yeah, if, if these players get opportunities um, from these competitions, well, that just shows how how they're growing, and they just need the spotlight to be able to to be able to shine. Even in the longer format uh, against Pakistan, in a couple of games, Bazilida was excellent mm. both with bat and ball, and built up quite nice camaraderie with Harris Rowe for, <laughs> after that incident. There were talks at that time that a couple of the Dutch players might be in for PSL gigs. I feel like more than a couple might be. Uh, Another big one, of course, is Josh Little from oh, Ireland, who's yeah. had who's yeah. already had a taste of of leagues around the world, but he he had a fantastic tournament, left arm left arm quick, who always sought after commodities. So, um, Lorcan Tucker, uh, yeah. another one who England probably owe a medal to um, after <laughs> after taking the the trophy yesterday, <laughs> having closed the net run rate situation against Australia a couple of weeks ago. Um, but Cal- they, but they Cal- my pen from yeah, as of well. course, yeah. hat trick, hat trick. I mean, fan- fantastic stories all the way down. Even some of the some of the the Yorker bowling we saw from UAE yes. in that in that first well, round. Mohammed Wasim, who yeah. hardly ever bowled in T Twenty cricket, yep. comes on and wins them the first match. Probably yeah, some yeah. of the best Yorker bowling we saw it in this tournament, great. actually. To be yeah. honest, I mean, it's um, so all these all all these players who get this opportunity to shine. And you hope. I mean, we sometimes look at the expanding T Twenty league world in a negative light because there are there is a concern about how saturated the calendar is getting how much cricket there is the the push and pull when it comes to international cricket but for the players lower down the opportunities this is creating um could be career changing if suddenly you get these these players who have shown an event like this then get picked up by leagues then it could be a really good story and by no means are we suggesting that the pressure on on those higher up in the food chain is any less it's it's just different as 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 Nasha just mentioned Glenn Maxwell's case and I can I can testify to it because I asked him the question and his response was 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 very philosophical uh, in the in the sense that you have to play it like it doesn't mean anything of course it means a lot but if you keep telling yourself it means so much then you won't be able to play freely so you have to play like it doesn't mean anything how 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 is and the reaction to that uh, to not just him but to Patrick Cummins and Many of those things happening around Australia, the reaction I think has been out of proportion, especially after they won the tournament last year when they were not really fancied to. Before we can talk a little bit more about Australia in a minute, but a couple of New Zealand players said very similar things after they went out, and <laughs> for reasons we probably don't need to delve into, but kind of like it, it barely sort of caused a ripple. I mean, Kane Williamson and Dal Mitchell basically basically saying the same thing about. Um, 
I'll go home and my daughter will see me and it's whatever, it, life goes on, we'll play another game next week. Uh, very similar to what Glenn was saying, really. But um, it, it is a treadmill for these um, for these international guys. Um, it is ridiculous, really, that there are international games coming up in, in two or three days' time. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the consequence on yesterday's game, the, the pressure on yesterday's final, that innings from Ben Stokes, the, the, the narrative behind Shia Freedy limping off... Um, the performance of Sam Curran, a huge, huge pressure situations and fantastic, fantastic cricket. But um, I guess it's yeah. I guess there's just the broader, the broader story, isn't there? The opportunity the, these players have compared to perhaps the opportunities for some of the others. Well, there's always pressure when India play. So <laughs> I mean, to be fair to to be fair to the guys, and and you can probably see that it, it shows at times within the in, in knockout games that the the pressure that is on their shoulders is enormous. Yeah, I think in that sense, uh, we talked about New Zealand perhaps uh, saying, as we said, similar things to Glenn Maxwell about how they'll still have a family life, they'll still go home and life goes on. They're perhaps freer to express those views than some of the Indian players Mm -hmm. or some of the South Asian players, really, because the kind of pressure that's on New Zealand is very different to the intense, all-consuming nature of uh, pressure that cricket in South Asia takes on Mm -hmm. those kinds of players. So, yeah, I think maybe we talk about New Zealand I guess overachieving at a lot of these World Cup events. I don't know if we still use that word, but I think it does. It probably does help that they don't have that kind of almost suffocating pressure on them. Whereas a couple of times, especially in the last decade or so, we've seen um, uh, India, if not affected by that, then certainly, uh, certainly that plays a part in perhaps the slightly more cautious way they play T Twenty cricket. That's a good point. I mean, uh, I don't think New Zealand spend as much time as India or Pakistan or even Australia do contemplating what happens if we fail. Yeah. Which, which in turn helps you to do to, to execute your plans, as they say. Mm. So, for example, Kane Williamson... <laughs> and give 110%. Yeah. Kane Williamson and Mitchell might want to do well because they want to make the most of their careers, whereas people like Rohit Sharma might be thinking about how not to disappoint people back home and the backlash that that's going to result in. Same with Barbara Azam. That's that's something that yeah, South Asian players obviously it's it's both a blessing and a bit of a curse because they are superstars back home. Yeah, but, yeah. part of a diff- it's it's the, the part of the different psyche that the sport plays in those countries as well. I mean, everybody loves sport in the countries that are involved in it. Just matters a little bit more perhaps um, in some countries than others. There's a bit more of an identity thing perhaps on what as, it means for those countries. The crowd tends, yeah. you know, South Asian crowds in particular all across. I think one of the best atmospheres was the Australia Afghanistan game where I think. The Afghan fans in Hyderabad were sensational and probably outjeered the Australian fans, I thought, for the most part. Well, I think that's been one of the biggest takeaways of this tournament, actually, in, in Australia, has been the multicultural aspect of it. It's, it's been written a little bit, bit about in, in the local media, and obviously this has been an early season tournament, and obviously there's an impact on conditions, which we can talk about in a bit, but just sort of engaging with cricket at this time of the year in Australia is a, is a bit of a challenge. It's a very quick turnover from the football, the winter football codes. And then Australia didn't have the best of tournaments. They, they didn't start well. That knocked the stuffing out of their campaign a bit. Um, although that first game at Sydney was, was very well attended. But then you just looked at the, the other games that were, were massively well attended. Obviously, India-Pakistan was going to be well attended. But those other games, like the one you mentioned, Afghanistan, I was at South Africa-Pakistan at the SCG. That was fantastic. The semi-final, when that Mexican wave and Deal, deal, Pakistan went around the SCG. That was that was pretty. I mean, I've been at other grounds around around the world where where that's happened, but that at the SCG that well, felt that, like yeah. that felt like quite a moment actually. Yeah. That felt like quite a moment. I know that part of the evolution of the game in Australia is is part of the next chapter of cricket down here, and I do think we might look back on this tournament 
has been quite an important part of that. I know that Cricket Australia are looking at ways to engage in those communities more, both from getting into the playing side of the game, but also the supporter base as well. So I think, and obviously Australia won't get another global event like this for, for quite a while. I think they have another T20, don't they, in the Future Tours programme in six or seven years' time, but they don't come around that often, so you do want to make the most of them. So I, I think that has been a very pleasing aspect of this tournament, is to see that wide breadth of support. So uh, I just wanted to get back to the point that uh, Daniel was making about the pressure on <clears throat> players from India and Pakistan. I remember in the, after the 2017 Champions Trophy final, Virat Kohli was seen talking to some of the Pakistan boys and look, the match is over, he's congratulated them, he's seen smiling, laughing with them. Punjabi boys separated by the border, they're talking Punjabi or whatever, they might be discussing pop music. But the next day, the amount of backlash he got for being friendly with the enemy, that kind of pressure in an India-Pakistan game was, was thankfully, it was not brought on by the fans at the, at the ground. Alex had, a, Alex had a great time covering that match and, and, and covering that atmosphere. That is the most amazing atmosphere I've ever been in. And I've been to so many incredible sporting events around the world. I've been very lucky to go to a lot. I've never seen anything like that. I've been to four of the last nine um, Australian Football League grand finals at the MCG and they have had actually bigger crowds in terms of numbers. All of those games have had over 100,000 people. But the noise that came from that India-Pakistan crowd, which was only 93,000, I think it was, was just like nothing I had ever experienced. The moment Ashdeep Singh hit Barbara's arm on the pad in that in that over early on, I, I, it felt like the whole stadium shook. And I, I actually wrote in the piece that my wife texted me after the winning runs were hit by R. Ashwin. And, she, and our house is two and a half kilometres away from the MCG. And she didn't have the TV on. She was upstairs in bed and she could hear the roar. And it, it just, that's something that is, is not experienced here in Australia. And it just shows you the, the incredible passion for the game, but also um, the depth of of love for the game in those communities here in Australia a yeah. little bit untapped it must it must be said so that'll be my lasting takeaway from this tournament is just being there for that atmosphere was incredible I, I spent some time in the stands that day and I could not sense any of the acrimony you see between India and Pakistan on other platforms they were like they were they just come together to play to watch a cricket match which was which was the loveliest thing about this first match which it's a match that I always dread, India versus Pakistan, because it. what happens after those matches is never pretty. Sad in a pub in Hobart, I didn't really <laughs> catch most of that atmosphere. So you were hoping for the India-Pakistan final? Uh, yes, in a way, <laughs> although I think the way it worked out was fine with the parallels to 1992 Pakistan-England. I think that was a good final too. But yeah, I mean, even watching on TV, uh, some of the, I, I know some of the people who attended, and yeah, even a lot of regular uh, cricket watchers, people who go to stadiums, said, yeah, they'd never heard or seen anything like it, not even in London or Manchester, where they played some pretty lively matches. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it helped probably that that turned out to be arguably the game of the tournament anyway. Um, and the rain stayed away. And the rain stayed away, <laughs> just, like, just like it did yeah. for the final. Yeah. Courtesy that Melbourne did not extend to Afghanistan in particular mm -hmm. and the England-Australia game. But, yeah, other than even, if you, uh, even outside of Melbourne, I think the weather didn't really play as much of a part as people feared. I think most of most of the uh, mo most games weren't really interrupted or even threatened by rain, and the groups that the groups that saw all all the, the four teams go through the 
semi-finals were fa- looked like fairly true reflections of the four best teams. I know we talked about South Africa and Pakistan and what happened there. But in general, I think it wasn't as if this was a World Cup that lost credibility due to the weather in any way. I actually think Pakistan has a case to to say they were in the best four teams because they, the last two overs of the India game, they were in control up until that yeah. point. 28 off eight. And then it was two missed deliveries from Harris Ralph. He went slow ball and Virat Kohli hit that amazing shot over long line. Then missed length down the leg side. It was flicked for six. And then uh, Mohamed Nawaz just bowled an over that he did love to have back, obviously. Uh, and then they needed three off three against Zimbabwe. So they could have won both of those games. They could have gone undefeated through to the final. So I, I do think that probably the best four sides got through, particularly when you take into account that South Africa lost a game they really should have won. Pakistan might, were among the best. Australia, because... Australia might contend, though, that... They went out with seven points and Pakistan got through with six. Yeah, it's true. So yeah. there's... Uh, That's one lesson I was coming to. And uh, Dan Vittori also said that when, especially in tournament play, if you are losing, if you know you've lost three or four wickets, chasing a big target early, you stop going for the win. You you try to you try to bridge the net run rate deficit that you will have. And maybe towards the end, you give it a shot. If, if you win it, it's a bonus. But you do that. This is what Dan Vittori, who has coached in IPL and he's learned it from the IPL, he's, he said he's learned it in the BBL. Because in the end, it always tends to come down to net hundred, but you don't think of it at the start of the tournament, which is where sometimes the major difference comes through. Although it did feel like the sort of thing that's perhaps easier for Dan Vittori to say than someone like Steve Ward, Justin Langer. I feel like they might have a harder time saying that. Is mm. that a fair point? Well, you, you remember 99 World Cup, the, mm-hmm. that match where mm, maybe they did, maybe they did not try to <laughs> win it quickly enough. I mean, there was some poor game management by Australia through this, through this tournament, that first game, that big defeat, and then not being able to maximise the two moments they had to, to boost the net run rate. Uh, Pat Cummins dropped a catch against Ireland after they had them 25 for five. They might have rolled them for... Yeah. 80 or 90 and that might have made a difference and then it was a tricky situation against Afghanistan um, in the end and in the end they only just scraped over the line but um, I guess it just shows the fine margin doesn't it it was almost in so many ways it was the same sort of campaign Australia had 12 months ago except their big defeat came at the very beginning which meant they had a actually made it harder because they had a longer run to the finals whereas when it happened last year it was the third game they got crushed by England so it was a much more focused little two games, and one of which they bowled out Bangladesh for 50-odd or something. That was the one that yeah. the, the Australian camp themselves say was the difference only in yeah. the two campaigns was that Bangladesh yeah. game last year. Yeah, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that's the thing. Uh, that's the point I wanted to make because I ended up somehow covering from a past since a lot of Australia games this World Cup. And one of the things, um, uh, you, you talk about fine margins, one of the things I noticed was the Australia-Ireland game 10 of the 11 who played that game also played the World Cup final against New Zealand the previous year. And like that campaign, they ended up losing just one game this time as well. So that's the thing with T20 cricket. A lot of people weren't convinced at the time, especially when England hammered them in that group stage game. They felt Australia were off the pace in terms of T20 cricket and the way modern T20 cricket needs to be played. And so perhaps they were a smidge lucky. They won most of their tosses. They were a smidge lucky to win that particular World Cup. So I guess in a way perhaps over two World Cups that does end up catching up with you. Like, is, is, is that probably a fair point? Oh, I would agree with that. They lost five of their last nine T20 nationals coming into the tournament. Yeah. And then you could add in a loss in the warm-up game to India where they had that game in their hand and they, they made it 
um, made a mess of that last over facing Muhammad Shami. So they, they haven't been one of the top bracket teams in the world. They're actually ranked six in the world. And so if you look across the two campaigns, as you mentioned, Danielle, they've got one win and, and one Super 12 exit. And it feels about right for this group. Also, travelling around Australia, it did feel like for Australians, the World Cup hasn't quite caught their imagination as it might if this were a World Cup in South Asia, of course. Or even in February, March in Australia. Or even, or even I think that's maybe. sort of the yes. sort I touched on before about it being hot off the heels of the winter season. It's um, it, it, it's it's not the ideal time to stage a, a major But World the fact Cup that they're launching a defence of a World Cup campaign, does that not make any difference? Well, I mean, the first crowd at Sydney, like I said, it was a sellout at the SCG. So it wasn't that there was no interest. But what happened was when... Um, they can be a bit fickle down here, basically. Australia got pumped in the first game. Uh, there was also a bit of discontent around other things going on. And then that England-Australia game getting washed out, I think yeah. kind of sucked the momentum a little bit out of the Australian side of the tournament. I think if that game had gone ahead, and obviously if especially, especially if Australia had won it, then their campaign would have been back on track. It just having gone, having gone big loss in Sydney a win but there was but that was dominated by the Aaron Finch story in Perth then a washout in Melbourne kind of felt like it just never got going for them all the, all the really the positive exciting stories were being told elsewhere whether it be India Pakistan whether it be how South Africa's fast bowling attack was going things like that whether it be Ireland upsetting upsetting England it never quite felt like Australia was the story of the World Cup except when they lost the way they did to Finale and that was a story but again it was I think I think it needed it needed Australia to win that first game for the tournament from their point of view to catch on. Although actually, I think it probably made for a better tournament actually than for the host nation to roll through it yeah. and win it again. But I think it's also a reminder, isn't it, of just the fine margins of this sort of thing. I mean, it's it's like it, it if you look at England who have, who have gone on to win it, Glenn Phillips stays for another two or three overs at the Gabba. He probably wins that chase. Or Josh Butler doesn't get that catch dropped off him on the boundary. Yeah, or, or, or Sri Lanka get another 15 runs at the SCG and they might defend 155 on a, on a, on a yeah. turner there. So it, it is, which is why it's so great because it comes down to these these tiny little moments. But I, I think it's, um, that there's an element of luck, there's an element of conditions, there's an element of who can pull off that one that one special thing and even even yesterday it came might, might not have made the absolute difference but horrendous bit of bad luck with Shahina Freedy limping off that, that may that might have made the difference well, I think they have they had the, the highest average age in terms of squads this tournament um, and it was the same squad as last year so it's a squad that's getting on in terms of numbers it, we we don't have another T20 World Cup for a couple of years do you think now a lot of these players might not see another T20 World Cup campaign David Warner has said today that he is keen to play in the Caribbean in 2024, uh, and there is some some whispers around that he he might be an option to captain if his leadership ban is is overturned. He will be nearly 38 at that stage. The fast bowlers are an interesting group. Um, Glenn Maxwell will be edging up near 35. Matthew Wade will be 36. So yeah, there there, there will be guys. Steve, Steve, Steve Smith, Smith is may another. Just from form and thing what t20 opportunity wise might move on australia don't play another t20 international until august of 2023 so they've got a long time to work out uh, what is their group heading moving forward and there is going to be a a definitive push to regenerate that group both at the top of the order with the batting and then with the bowling stocks in terms of picking more specialist fast bowlers i would say i would say the spinners would stay relatively the same given their age profile both Zampa and Agar and then the middle order group is pretty well set the only thing will be injury issues with Marsh and Stornis which continue to 
crop up every year for those guys, but and they're getting they're getting into their mid thirties as well. You you touched upon Aaron, the Aaron Finn story. I I, w- I would like to extend it to Temba Bavuma and Captain Kane, Kane Williamson. Captain yeah. yeah, that my, my favorite bugbear. <laughs> Cricket has a captain's problem. You would ideally have your best 11 and then choose one captain out of this. Which used to be many years ago how yes. Australian cricket yes. did it. Yes. But then I also think it's also a factor of cricket, a uh, hangover from ODI cricket, where you still end up choosing who should theoretically be the best ODI batter as your T20 captain. A lot of teams seem to be doing the first. I mean, Temba Bavuma is, is a perfectly alright ODI captain. Barbarazan, even previously Virat Kohli, Kane Williamson, they're perfectly serviceable ODI cap. And so I feel like even when you're appointing T20 captains, a lot of teams look at their best ODI batter and appoint them, and that, I feel, is a hangover that at some point will be remedied. Yeah, that, that, that's, that contributes to it, but in the larger picture, Aaron Finch is still a better T20 player than ODI player. So he, he's, a, he's a captain, he, he led them to the title last year, but what happens when he's out of form? Who decides to drop him? He, it, it's just so unfair on that captain because that decision is left to him. No, There's no coach I can think of today who will go up, I mean, Craig Chappell was one, who will just go up to the captain and say, maybe it's better you sat yourself out. Especially especially in South Africa, where there are other issue, other other things to keep in mind. So I, I think, I personally think it would be better if the, if the coach became the manager and like football and he, he or she, they, they had more say in the tactics, more uh, more involvement in the game and you just played your best 11 players. It, it, one of the interesting dynamics, isn't it, has been the discussion, This because there's been a number of captains out of form, has been the sort of that unquantifiable factor of the importance of captaincy in the field. Yeah. There's something that's attached to Aaron Finch a lot and there's some, and there's some evidence to it that there are some very good tactical captains and I mean I know he's ended in it's not quite the same because Josh Butler's had a good tournament with the bat but he has grown as a captain this tournament immensely tactically he's been brilliant on that field and that's added to his importance to that England side so is it something is the tactical element something that can be factored in and can you or not can you sort of say okay well that keeps the guy in the job because he is Tactically, he is going. Is he the Mike Greeley of T Twenty cricket, for example? Is he is he so good as a as a captain that he, he's worth his spot? Um, I, I would argue against Mike Greeley too, but that's that's for another probably day. another podcast. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> that's for another day. I'm just saying. Look at the tactics, England tactics. Let's say Ben Stokes always bowls the first to the seventh over. So does that? I'm not saying Josh Butler has not earned his place. He clearly has, mm. but if he was not performing well. Do you really need Josh Butler on the field to give the first and the seventh over to Ben Stokes every time? Do you <laughs> do you really need well, somebody to tell Adil Rashid what to do? And we saw again at this tournament, didn't we? I can't remember which team it was, but was using the coded number yeah. thing on, yeah, the, on, like on, on, on the boundary, which yeah. obviously which England started off a couple of years yeah. ago. Mark Ward had his cheat sheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and then you've got to understand that the players don't forget what the numbers mean <laughs> and do something completely different. Because trust me, there are some players yeah. who would forget what the numbers mean. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think India structured their first 10 overs in the same way in four of the five games. I think it was exactly the same formula. It was Boovy, Arshdeep, Boovy, Arshdeep, then yeah. Roshami, and then Hardikin at number seven. So there is that element. Talking to high-performance managers and people in and around uh, international cricket, the intangible is an interesting word that Nasha uses because they talk about sort of broader group dynamics in reference to leadership and, yeah. and how, how 
certain leaders are needed to be there as a calming influence for particular groups depending on their age demographic, depending on the types of characters that are in the group and how that all meshes in with both the coaches, coaches, the coaching staff and, and certain senior players or groups that don't have senior players. So I think it depends on, on each group. I tend to lean your way, Sid, in, in the sense that they're particularly at the top end of international cricket, there's so much experience amongst the senior players that a lot of these guys don't necessarily need a, a overarching captain who holds this magical power at the top of the tree to manage their way through a T20 game. I think you'd, the finer margins come from the actual skill side of the yeah. player's uh, ability as opposed to their, their tactical nous. But you talk to people within the teams and they view it the other way. I, I think cricket is still relatively conservative on these fronts in yeah. terms of how they use captains, the importance of them, whether or not, as you say, uh, teams can can have uh, a more influential coach or manager who can manage the things and have have a captain that is that's picked based on the best eleven. It's an interesting discussion point. It would need further fleshing out, I think, with players and squads and teams. Not not at all connected to the T Twenty, but we're going to have, we could potentially have a little interesting situation in Australian cricket coming up with the ODI side. Because Pat Cummins has been named ODI captain, he's got his first series coming up in a couple of days. But there's basically going to be captaincy by committee there because he isn't going to play every series. No. They've pretty much said yeah. they can't work like so. He's basically he's basically been named as captain for the World Cup, and they're going to sort of. And if, if Australia had gone deep in this tournament, he may well have been rested for his first series as captain. <laughs> yeah. He may not be playing in this game coming up. And obviously, they had to name a full strength side after going out early. Um, but it'd be very interesting, for example, there's a, there's a series in India at the end of March, there's one supposedly against Afghanistan, there's the two of South Africa. Cummins might only play one of those three or something. Yeah. And then, then, so therefore you can have Alex, Alex Carey come in perhaps as, as a sub-captain, who knows, Davy Warner might do it if his captaincy ban. I mean, other names are or, or, or other names are thrown around as well. So that, so by, by saying this, and Australia's management has gone on the record here when Pat's gone on the record himself and said, look, I think we can do it by committee, which is a very interesting little switch, that figurehead captain it, role. It takes a very secure person to say that and to do that. And I just saw two matches from England this tournament and I, saw, I observed that Josh Butler was focusing more on his keeping and Moeen Ali was yeah. more involved in field. He had a very big role. He had a very and big talking role. To, so it takes a very secure person, first of all, to say, hey, I don't need one big leader, one supreme leader who... And it tends to work more in yeah. these parts of the world than in India and Pakistan where they are not even prepared to have two separate captains for two different formats. Odds, of course, though, many years ago, wasn't it the Schlankens who were well ahead of this on swapping yeah. captains when they wanted to avoid the overweight yeah, yeah, fine? And yeah. Who was it? Kumar and Mahela yeah. swapped Kumar and, Mahela. And, and then they won the 2014 yeah. World Cup with Lasit Malinga yeah. as the captain. Yeah. So they were just so far ahead of the curve yeah. that they were just knowing what they were doing yeah. before well, anybody else. Uh, I miss Fidel at this point. Yeah. <laughs> By extension from that, I mean, you look at there were a lot of people sceptical about England splitting the coaching roles going into this year. There were a lot of people sceptical, particularly in this country. There were a lot of people who were telling us and the media and more broadly that you have to have one coach, one figurehead controlling the whole program. England have proven unequivocally that you can split that very easily. And in actual fact, having specialist coaches in each of the two formats and two different captains with Rob Key managing the whole program and all of the backroom staff that he has can work absolutely phenomenally well because of 
people knowing their roles, understanding their roles, and putting their egos to one side and working together. It's and I think I think it works for England as well because actually there is quite a divergence Very in personnel so. between the, the, the red and yeah. white. But when they tried to do it previously, when it was Andy Flower and Ashley Giles, a, England weren't as good a white ball. They were a rubbish white ball team at that point. But there was also a bit more overlap. You had the Broad and Andersons were in both teams. Joe Root was in every team. Alistair Cook, I think, was in <laughs> two of the teams. So there was a lot more. So actually now you, you almost feel that there's there's a red ball England and a white ball England. Of course, Ben Stokes goes across both. Johnny Bairstow when he's fit. Um, but it, but it, it's it's that's, it, it's less than the, 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 the um, kind of the balance of the team. So I think that I think that is interesting. And kind of just go back to Australia and I know that it's been sort of been hinted at in the wash up to their tournament here is that there's some thought that how much more will the all format quicks be all format quicks going forward and, and things like that because there is actually there's quite a lot of sort of what there's Smith Warner the, the, the three quicks are overlapping from the from the two sides at the moment then you've got Marnus plays ODI and Test Cricket so there's actually quite a lot of overlapping so it'll be interesting to see whether they do go down the route of the the Nathan Ellis's and the Riley Merediths. Well, there's broader discussions on with with both Pakistan and India. You look at Jasper Boomer's injury issues, yes. Shane Shafrizi's injury issues. You look with South Africa with uh, Kagisa Rabada, whose pace continues to drop down. His workload is just enormous. How do those teams manage though the quality of those players uh, and and having to have them play all their formats? I think it's going to become more and more difficult. It's also a bit of a cultural thing because in Pakistan, even if you talk do a domestic play and ask them what their ambitions are you invariably get the same answer they say they want to play represent Pakistan in all three formats so it's almost as if they're an autopilot doing that because the idea that a player would want to prioritize and potentially cut down on international opportunities um, is is less accepted in Pakistan and maybe India than it would be here here it's just seen as more efficient management but even when we come to England I think what the one thing England have done well especially over the last seven years is recognize when a particular team is at rock bottom so the ODI side after 2015 they obviously completely regenerated but even in the test side when they brought Brendan McCullum in I think they won one of the previous it's, it, it's fun that they have to get to rock bottom first yes. before that <laughs> yes. I mean it is a bit like it's yeah. a bit like the yeah. but once they get to rock bottom they, they do oh they're great the, when they hit the floor yes, yeah, so exactly. the rise back <laughs> the rock bottom is almost the springboard the rise back up is always good fun and, no, but, then, and then the fall down the other side this, again. it's it's not just the results that we're praising England yeah. for I mean even if they're not won last night yes. I would still say England's way well, of playing T20 is well, the right way to play and the same the way they were playing test cricket last summer I mean it was like yeah but of course it helps that they have a golden generation of white balls so, look, yeah. look, not in terms of just the 11 but also the depth they have as we were mentioning yeah. test cricket is a compromise they've made because they, they feel this is the best chance they have by this is the way yeah. they give themselves the best chance but in white cricket they are like they, they are the blueprint yeah. in white yeah. ball cricket they, they don't ask anchors to go out and play quicker they pick up hitters which is the difference between India and England which is like the fundamental difference between India and England where Rahul Dravid and Rohit Sharma came in with the stated objective to modernize the way India were playing, which they went, which they tried a lot to do. Rahul Sharma led by front, led by example. He he actually, you know, he turned the way he used to, he turned around the way he used to play. He started taking risks so that he could ask the other batters to take risks. If he was not, there's there's no way they would follow him. But come World Cup, they I think they went back to default where they saw slightly difficult pitches and they, they went back to their the the, the the template that was their comfort zone. So if they had 
if they had picked more hitters, more T20 specialists, I think they would have found a way to manage these pitches by still staying aggressive, which is what England did. You talk about the pitches there and conditions, Sid. Should we sort of should we sort of reflect on the conditions of the tournament? I know you've written about them a couple of times, and it's something you were quite you were quite involved in. But it goes back to the time of the season it was being played here. I mean, from a personal point of view, I know we've had this debate during the tournament. I think this has been better T Twenty cricket, personally. Not that you can't have a yeah no. two hundred play two hundred, but I think it's. I've 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 enjoyed watching this T Twenty cricket more than I have I would do say a, a chasing dominated tournament that we had last time or a tournament that's just played on roads where yeah. you need two hundred to be in the game. Do, do, do we think uh, conditions have made this a better that's, tournament? That's a, that's a personal preference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, the two just two points, quick points. Sure, sure. The great thing about this tournament has been and it's not been that reliant on the toss. Mm. Maybe towards the end, the chasing teams again, as it tends to happen, because the knockout matches are usually in the night. The conditions do tend, the wickets do tend to skid on in the night. So, uh, but overall, it was much less reliant on the toss than the last year's World Cup. And the second point is that everybody says, "Oh, this is a bowlers World Cup," but runs have come at a faster clip than. See, the that's what I was fishing for because yeah. our WhatsApp group was <laughs> so, very busy last night yeah. with this. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, th- I think yeah. the one thing um, that makes uh, a tournament dominated to some extent by bowlers exciting by its very nature is. In my opinion, I just think there's more ways for a bowling-dominated T20 game to be absorbing than a batting-dominated T. There's only so many ways, I feel, to hit a six, whereas in terms of the fast bowling here, we've seen... the Unless way. you're Sky Yadda, uh, there's quite a few ways Sky. to hit a six. Or just Butler. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I mean, the point is, yeah. for example, in New Zealand, the way they operate their fast bowling attack, um, the swing that they get in the early overs, the extreme base that Pakistan go, there are very many different ways to be brilliant at fast bowling, and I feel like... The diversity of conditions here across Australia offered a lot of teams, a lot of a lot of talented bowling teams, a lot of different ways to do that eff- effectively. But I do think that we are getting carried away by what we are seeing of the bowling. Bowling has a limited impact on T Twenty cricket. That I mean, is compared probably to probably a debate for a longer part. That <laughs> doesn't strictly. Yeah, we're already forty five minutes in, lads. Yeah, so let's. No, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but it, it is interesting. I mean, I mean you've yeah. seen such exciting bowling in this tournament. You are like, wow, so such great bowling. But you look at the numbers. The last uh, last tournament was better for bowling than this one. I cover Pakistan cricket for a living. I don't look at that many numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I think, yeah, towards the tail end of the tournament, I think that ended up being one of the stories. I um, think that there's probably a, a sense of sort of recency bias, confirmation bias, isn't it? You remember the ones you remember and therefore it makes you yeah, think it's been, correct, correct. it's been a, a better tournament. I think also perhaps what's different when we're viewing this tournament is perhaps what we're used to of seeing T20 cricket in Australia in that True. it is normally yes. played January, February, maybe an odd December game. Obviously, the BBL is January, is December, January. Um, and it's just felt a very different type of T20, um, regardless of what the numbers might say yeah. for a minute. It's just it's just felt different, this, this sort of type of cricket. Absolutely. Certainly at the MCG. The MCG has a very particular brand of cricket, and I've written about it a few times in this tournament. It's the, the place I watch the most cricket at. And it, normally here, the... The grass is not on the surface. It's quite bare. It's a little bit up and down. And the spinners play a very important role. The fast bowlers have to roll their fingers over, go back of a length, force the batters to hit square of the wicket. And just watching guys stand the seam up and bowl at 140 plus and have the ball zinging past the shoulder of the bat was fantastic to watch. And it it did separate the batters out. I mean, it did separate Virat Kohli, Sky Yadav, 
um, a few others, Ben Stokes last night. Uh, it, it did it did test players in a different way, which was it's not something you want to see all the time, but it, it certainly made for great cricket. And I, even as a microcosm of the whole tournament, Nassim Shah's over last night. Oh. Josh Butler was amazing. Two overs. Not for 30. Not for 30. But the one over I'm thinking of, he was beaten five times in the over and 11 runs came from it. Yeah. One was five wides, which nipped a mile down the leg side and Mohamed uh, Rizwan couldn't get to it. And then Butler plays an outrageous shot. One of the great scoops for the six. The only ball that he went, hit all over. That went 15 rows back and that ball was hitting the top of middle and off. So it, it that that to me sort of summed up the, the battle between bat and ball Um in this tournament and but it was fabulous to watch. End? Who won that over in the That's That's why I the say that bowling has... Bowling... I, I'm not undermining the quality of bowling but I just want to make a point that bowling has a limited impact in T20 cricket because it's so short, because the wickets are so cheap. Batters will play crazy shots and, and the shot that Butler played yesterday I don't think does in a test match where, you know, yeah. there's... I also think, although, that England having a very deep batting lineup allows them to bat as if wickets are cheap. So, for yes. example, if South Africa bat, I think one of the pitfall, uh, one of the downfalls for South Africa was basically, I think they relied on, at seven. And they relied on about four in three or four informed batters. And if they don't fire as they didn't against the Netherlands, it all comes apart. That's not a problem England has. So even if Nassim Shah is having uh, bowling the spell of his life, Shaheen Afridi is cheering in, Harris Roof is bowling at 150, they know that potentially they could even squeeze out 10 or 12 runs from Adil Rashid at 10, um, right down to number 11, really. So I think in th- that's part of what makes England a well-rounded side, and that's one of the ways, I guess, T20 cricket has evolved, where if you want to be a good side, you maybe um, have th- that flexibility. And I suppose just to extend your point, Sid, about the impact of the bowling, is I suppose if you... If you thought that Nassim Shah could have extended that to a 10-over spell, like an ODI could yes. he might have got 3 for 50 at the yes. end of it. And therefore, I suppose yes. you're saying that the impact, he's had the chance to make a big, big impact there. Exactly. Whereas that over that Alex talked about went for 11. So actually those two balls that went for 11 were more important to England than the five dots were yeah. Yeah, as good yeah. as the... And I guess, I guess also we have to just separate what was visually a stunning moment to the actual st- statistical impact on the game. And, and there is... A balance to strike with cricket these days when you're looking at the game between the numbers which are important but also just what you've witnessed and felt and that was a stunning over bizarre stunning over because it went for 11 and almost you don't have to take the conclusions right to the end point you can just go that Nassim Shah bowled a magnificent over and yet Josh Butler scooped him for six and one's gone for five wides and it's in itself it's just a great little nugget yeah. of bizarreness of the game in a way that you can be so good and come away with North for and well, that's that spell might have been obvious. I think it's also fair to note it's probably an aberration of the norm. It's it. I think nine out of ten times you don't bowl a four over spell like that and come away wicketless. Hmm. Yeah. So I think yeah that's I well. Adil Rashid has bowled beautifully throughout yeah. the tournament. He's only yeah. four wickets and, the whole and conversely sure. you can bowl a lot worse and get yeah. three long hops pulled yeah. a deep yeah. wicket and you get three for twenty five. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So that's, a, so, so that's one of the things So where this will happen much more in T20s than ODIs. Yeah, yeah. just by, by its very nature. It's yeah. a more sample size. It's a high variance game. Yeah. 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 So that's why England have, like, England have very quickly realised that we need to invest more in hitters. We mm. need to invest more in hitters who can bowl. Who can, Liam Livingston is a great player, great T20 player. He can, he can hit that. from ball one. He can bowl leggies to the right-handers. He can bowl offies to left-handers. He is he's the prototype T20 player <laughs> that if if we, I had a machine I would 
kind of produce. Just just one final irony to this point about deep batting orders. The best batting recovery I saw at this tournament, I reckon, was Pakistan. 4 for 43 <laughs> to 180-odd at the yeah. SCG. And they played that like England would have played it. They kept yes. going. Yeah. Mohamed Harris had come in, had a big impact. Ifti went and teed off. Shadab played the best innings he has for it Pakistan. Was liquid innings, and it was, yeah. it was it was liquid cricket, yes. it was. Yeah. And it, it was like, you, you look at, you know, that's how, that's your hitting template. That's you, you keep going. Yeah. You, you value wickets less and you just... Go for the runs, but it was very un-Pakistan in a way. I, I, I just I, thought that was a little irony that they I feel so that. bad for this Pakistan bowling unit. It's a great yeah. bowling unit, yeah. especially with Vaseem in the side. They've got three world-class 145-plus fast bowlers. They've got a leg spinner who's as good as any. They've got a left-arm spinner who can be very good against right-hand batters. And then they have the sixth seam bowling all-rounder. For this bowling unit, the batters do not play ball and give them something to work with. It's very I unfortunate. I actually enjoy that relationship. So, so the bowlers restrict Zimbabwe to 130 and the batters say, no, that's not quite good enough. <laughs> and the bowlers restrict Bangladesh to 127 and they really are made to sweat before they chase that down. Um, in the final, then they say, okay, if you want to win the World Cup, well, why don't you uh, restrict the best batting lineup that's ever been potentially in T20 international cricket to below 137? Yes. So I like, I like the fact that the... It, it almost feels like if the batting wasn't as unpredictable, the bowling wouldn't be able to hit those heights. Because <laughs> they the, need the challenge. Yes, yes, because they need the challenge. They're, they're forced to go to places a better batting unit wouldn't take them to. You, you actually brought up a very good game. The Pakistan-Zimbabwe game was exactly the same as this final. But Pakistan chasing 130 did not make a quick start. Whereas England here made a quick, yeah. fast break. Yeah. There was no pressure on Stokes and Brooke who could like play an ODI after that. Mm. And well, <laughs> They traded three wickets for those runs, yes, didn't they? They yes. traded the value of the yeah. risk of those three wickets knowing that they had 50 on the board yeah. after the power play. Although it still, it still got tighter than I think they would have liked. 40, <laughs> like was it 45 or 31 in the end? We should talk about that Ben Stokes innings. Where do we stand on it? Is it, <laughs> is it him being clutch under pressure as he always is? Only because I know it will annoy some colleagues. I'm going to say yes, he's immensely clutch <laughs> under pressure and he seizes the big moments and he's the ultimate match he, winner. He does it when is it matters yeah, the most. Is, is yeah. he, is Which means he's a slacker. That is, is, he, he, is, is he the ultimate match winner because he can hit Iftikhar Emmett for six? He senses the moment. He senses the moment. Yeah. Um, oh, look, I mean, the, the, the line going around today is one that Joe Root mentioned in his documentary, actually, that big moments find him sort of yeah. thing. And you can you can spin it either way. And you can't doubt his, you can't doubt his ability to not shirk in those pressure moments and and that I think that's the hallmark of a, of of some of the some of the best players the match defining players um that they have this they have this willpower and look he's got enough he's got a broad enough resume now that it's not a fluke when he does it now and it, no no far, the yeah. farthest thing from fluke yeah. I, what i'm saying is stokes does it in these b- external pressure moments because he's so good he does it in most moments that's what Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer yeah. say. You see, you see us winning the big points. No, we won, we win more and points. Of course, <laughs> and of course, he might never play a T20 international again. You never know now. Well, you never know. I mean, and there was debate around his place right up to during the first week of this tournament because it was unsure whether him and Milan, the way they start in innings, was was a little bit too too similar. But um, but yeah, I mean, in the end, I think uh, I think, and again, not not overall perhaps, but some of the games England played being. Certainly, the the semi, certainly the game against Sri Lanka and the final being slightly lower scoring games. Um, both of those beginnings from Stokes didn't come with major run rate pressure. It was like you'd bat till the end and you were going to win the game, mm. most probably. And kind of that, 
that kind of suited, I think, the way that, that Stokes, Stokes plays. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously there's... It, it kind of... It, Leads narratives, doesn't it? Ben Stokes. And yeah, things he, was, and so. he was clutch, except <laughs> he, for that time when Mitch Sander hit for him, hit him for some 20 runs in the last over in an IPL game. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, IPL is a completely yeah. different world, isn't it, Sid? That's a yeah. completely different world. What, what <laughs> worked for Stokes was he, he actually got the white ball swinging, yeah. which which took the pressure off his bat, batting uh, because he could And that was a big ball. part of the role he played, actually, because yeah. that was a new role for him in this tournament. That wasn't sorry, what he was doing. What's this IPL thing we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, no, no. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's, it's kind of passed me by. But we're not allowed to discuss it. No, no, so now that though. it's all over, yeah. <laughs> we have time to look back. What do you think of the sixth that Virat Kohli hit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but, um, but yeah, that the, the, the bowling role from, from Stokes was kind of another part of how this this England side have sort of thought this out very well and kind of um, they there was a piece I was reading I think it was in the Telegraph today by by Tim Wigmore and um, basically going how England are a very data heavy data heavy side and they, they love their matchups they love their um, yeah scenarios and, and things like that and and yeah and Stokes with a Stokes with that over to swing a new ball Sam Curran being used when he was Moeen Ali bowling just two overs in the tournament and only going for nine in those two overs <laughs> um, but not being bowled again yeah very 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 matchup heavy well Stokes's role with the ball last night was almost as important as the bat because it meant that Chris Wokes didn't have to bowl out Wokes mm. was easily their worst bowler he got he got his he lengths was balls, he got his lengths and his slower balls wrong in that game last night on a surface that you needed to stand the seam up and bowl on pace and then Liam Livingston got taken to it was a really good over from Sharm Massoud yeah. to attack Livingston he saw that was the matchup they he needed to take and if you dig, dig into the numbers um, Livingston has actually tied down Massoud in previous yes. games and he made that risk and took it on and it forced uh, Josh Butler to look elsewhere and he had the supply in, in Ben Stokes' extra two overs, which he'd only been bowling two overs, I think, a lot during the tournament. Mm. And, and, and that was uh, bowling his full quota and that was very, very important. And that uh, the, the over you mentioned, the end of that over is probably the strongest position Pakistan would in all tournament. Yes. Oh, all match, sorry. Because they're 84 for two, Babur Azam actually mentioned it in the press conference yeah. after that. And then for Adil to bowl that wicket made. Yeah, yeah. Where there was, so I think that's where Pakistan are perhaps less data heavy than England mm. are because uh, with Adil Rashid still having another five balls in that over, they sent in Iftikhar rather than Shadab. And yes, Iftikhar has a good record against Rashid, had a good record in that seven match series. But then Iftikhar is also useful at the death where Shadab isn't against high pace. So yeah, that's just and one of them. We, we should give a hat tip to our colleague Matt Roller for the uh, Angie stats for the matchup piece they did before that final. Yeah. Because well, I think they got two of them bang yeah. on. They got the, yeah. the googly from Rashid to Baba. And there was, was it was it a Sam Curran one that was in there as well or something? I can't There's remember, another but, one that was absolutely yeah, spot yeah, on. Yeah, but they, they, they did yeah, some yeah, good yeah. work before that final to yeah. tee up those matches. I, so, I, yeah. I remember relying on that piece yeah. in the final piece I wrote. Yeah, yeah. no, no, that's, yeah, uh, yeah they, they read the game very yeah. well. Um, yeah. I think we're talking too much about England and the switch, the switch it boys might not like it that much. Nah. Yeah, let's move on. We're doing it from the global viewpoint. <laughs> we're doing it from the global yeah. and, and, and they've won the World yeah. Cup, so yeah. I, think, yeah, yeah. I think that's fine. But yes, if you want to move on to another topic. Just for the sake of Switch It Boys. Yeah, yeah. Leave them something to talk about. (laughs) Um, I think, yeah, maybe we could talk about what what do you think were the main stories in terms of the teams this World Cup? We talk about South Africa. Sometimes you say pressure gets to the South Asian side, but I think it affects South Africa in quite a unique way as well. Well, yes, I mean, that's just another hover story of their World Cups, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I mean, that one was 
it was harder to go out than it was to go through for them to have that game against Netherlands as their safety net. Maybe that was the problem. Maybe if that, maybe if those two last games had been the other way around. Um, yeah, but in, in my, the end, yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought it, it was so South Africa because at the start of that day, all three teams had to win to guarantee safe passage to the semi-finals, and South Africa probably had the easiest fixture. Yeah, and they end up not just losing, but in the end, really being hammered by mm-hmm. the Netherlands. They were never on top in that game. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, that was I remember that was the piece I found the hardest to write because what what's new that you can say about South Africa? Fluffing their lines at the World Cup event. At least they find slightly different ways of doing it. And of course, this time it was the rule of fandom over catch, yes. wasn't it? That was almost the story sort of thing. But um, yeah, can, yeah. I think they, they misread the conditions. And it was a, Adelaide was a very interesting wicket. It was bat first in the morning and the afternoon game. And it was definitely bowl first in the evening game. Interesting, the only actual early game we had this tournament was Netherlands South Africa that was like a 10.30 local start wasn't it everything so, else had been and, afternoon and, or evening and Mark Boucher said that we went by some morning stats morning games very little morning and, cricket yes. with white ball played in, in, October, Australia. in October in October yeah. in Australia I don't know what stats and, they were looking at uh, Saturday been, grade cricket it would have been COVID games <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Saturday yeah. grade yeah. cricket well, it would have been the COVID games last year there was a couple of early games but so I the, think mental yeah. process is, is the biggest issue for South Africa. I mean they've got a lot of issues Let's let's be honest but Mental process for individuals and the team as a collective at, at big tournaments in big games is something they continue to fail at and it's something that they need to improve. They need to find a way to get better at it uh, and I don't know how they do that, but it, it's it's got to be addressed. They cannot continue to, to fail in these moments in the way that they have and it's very clear that they play scared in those games. It is also, very, very clear that that's the case. And also because if you told them there are two World Cups coming up while they've got... David Miller, Riley Rousseau at back here. They've got a middle order batting lineup that Aidan Markram in the form he is. They've got KG Rabada, Andrew Knockier. Quentin Nicole. Um, I wouldn't Quinti, include Rabada in any T20 grids. Yeah, but the point is, <laughs> so they had, they had what could be a fantastic T20 side, maybe mm-hmm. almost verging on a South African T20 golden generation and two World Cups in 12 months. That's a fantastic opportunity. And to go out at the group stage in both World Cups seems like even by South African standards, a significant underachievement yeah. at the sort level. Uh, as you say, it see, feels like it can't continue, but then you almost don't know now what it'll take for them to actually just break out. Well, you don't know what South African cricket's going to be like in, in five years. I mean, obviously, we had the dynamic in this tournament of one night, I can't remember which night it was, but you had Devil Brevis hit 162 or 57 balls in their, yeah. in their domestic tournament. And speaking to a couple of people around South African cricket who know, the, who know South African cricket well, this tournament, they believe he might be the first to say, no, I don't need international cricket. He's already with Mumbai, is it? He's already with Mumbai yeah, Indians, yeah, yeah. Uh, who are now obviously spreading their tentacles wider in terms of building this global franchise. And there was a genuine belief that he might just decide he doesn't need South Africa. And obviously there's bigger issues at playing South African cricket and stuff. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, that that's their... It, you, you almost have a feeling if it wasn't going to be this team that did it, then might not be one that does it. So well, South Africa will always surprise you because I remember reading obituaries of South African cricket around the end of the 2019 World Cup. And lo and behold, the next year World Cup, they were among the favourites. Uh, this, this has been a remarkable, remarkable resurgence from South African cricket. They were, they were losing test series. They were at the verge of, on the verge of losing a test series to Australia at home. They were, they were losing to India. When they came to India, they lost without a fight. They... Their ODI exit in the 2019 World Cup, everybody thought South African cricket is over and suddenly you've got these high-quality fast bowlers coming in, Marco Janssen, Andrik Nokia, and I, I, 
as long as they keep producing these fast bowlers i many of bat- bat- batter can leave they will still be especially in test and odi cricket they will still be a force to be reckoned with and someday without us noticing they will win one of these <laughs> maybe that's the thing maybe none of us need to actually watch them do it yeah. and then they might just be able yeah. to do it because no one sees it coming yeah. because i, they, I they, can't i they, can't really put a finger on what happens it's it that's cannot question, be, that's it, question, no but it? it cannot be in 1999 i don't agree it was a joke but if it was it was somebody else who did it it's a completely new team i don't see what baggage they can that can that they can carry from there i think the way any psychological baggage affects an individual or group or a nation is just hard to put a finger on anyway uh, i think that's probably where i draw the line at trying to psychoanalyze south africa no i just i just feel they made a cricketing mistake by choosing to bowl first against netherlands <laughs> and uh, they were otherwise uh, they had one shot coming as you had earlier pointed out that the batting was not deep and the, they had wayne parnell at number 7 which eventually yeah but the gulf between south africa and netherlands is vast enough for that not to be shouldn't be a decisive yeah, but they, if, they, if they, they shouldn't be losing the conditions to the yeah if, for example i mean you could easily just lose it you can't just say it's t20 it's in england lost to ireland yeah they won the, the they won the world cup so yeah. that's <laughs> that's the point so about when you lose that game yeah, exactly yeah, right yeah. should we we've we've passed an hour mark on this chat so should we should we sort of wrap it up by maybe picking our favorite moment of the tournament around the table mm. Yeah, as long as yeah. you come to me last. Yeah. To think of one. I mean, I I don't mind kicking off. It's going to be an obvious one, but yeah. Go for it. Oh, England winning a World Cup at the MCG, <laughs> you know. I mean, <laughs> hey, look, I'm, I'm meant I'm meant to be neutral these days. Yes, I'm kicking for Australia. I I I, 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 I live in, I live in Australia now, but hey, it is you you don't think you'd ever really get a chance to see something like that. So yeah, that that was mine. kind of like it was a yeah it was it was yeah they they play i think they and the thing is i they think they deserved it i think they were the best team overall they were a generational great white ball team and i'm i'm glad they've i'm glad no one can argue this time whether they genuinely won it or not or something <laughs> but uh, i did enjoy kane williamson's comment the other day i don't know if you guys heard it yeah, yeah, it yeah, was yeah, like sometimes that. we played about the same as another yeah, team yeah, however that, yeah, i thought that was yeah, one of the great yeah, quotes yeah, of the tournament yeah, fair play to kane somebody should have told him he, that you agreed upon those playing conditions he, he, yeah. before they continue to take that all very well but um yeah i they their their resurgence as a one day team white ball team has been extraordinary and uh Yeah, that was that was pretty cool to be in a ground like the MCG and see that last night. So I'll take that one for the team and I'll uh, yeah, I'll take my the hit to my credibility as much as that <laughs> as, as it may be. So yes. Uh I mentioned mind earlier uh, the India Pakistan game at the MCG is will burn in in my memory for the rest of my days. I think it was an extraordinary night to be there and I mentioned too a lot of people will talk about the winning runs from from Arashwin and and the atmosphere and the most of the century. The yeah. <laughs> the leave of the century the shot from virat kohli uh, all of those moments but for me and i did mention it earlier that first wicket that fell the roar that went up when ray erasmus's finger went up after ashdeep singh had hit babar azam on the pad is something that I, i've never experienced before it gave me chills i had goosebumps on my on my arms it was incredible uh, to be there and witness it and and something that was very very special and and should be remembered for a long time from this world cup so it was a privilege to be a part of it Just wait till we get stars versus renegades there. We <laughs> live the moment again. But yeah. The moment yeah. I think I'll go with it isn't by any means the most consequential moment but the most fun, the most bizarre thing. 
So I was watching Zimbabwe against Bangladesh in Brisbane, and you think blessing was when he comes down the track, uh, four to get to the final ball, misses. They're shaking hands. The presentation boards are brought out, and then and then they're told, oh, that might actually have been a no ball. And then it takes it takes about three or four minutes. The Bangladesh players are still hugging each other. The team managers there, and then the look on their faces on the Bangladesh boys when they're told you actually have to go out and face a ball. And then because he'd, uh, I think the keeper had his uh, like gloves slightly in front of the stumps, which was the reason for the no ball, he stood two steps back to make sure he didn't make that mistake. And the umpire comes out and said, no, it has to be exactly the same fielding position. So he's forced back up with his gloves an inch away from the stumps as that final ball is bowled again. I think it would have been epic if Zimbabwe had actually pulled it off after, but, uh, but it, it does rank as... I, I think I'll, I might cover a lot of tournaments before I cover something as bizarre as that. And fair play to the umpires. They not only did they knew the field positions, they knew who was where. I don't know how they how they figured it out, how they you know decided on who's going to field where for the yeah. cricket. They did it, and I'm, I'm I'm sure they didn't like mess it up and have Bangladesh change the field. Alright, uh, your moment. So I'll I'll just pick two because one is where bowling was consequential and one is where it was. <laughs> <laughs> Mohammad Wasim and not the Pakistan Mohammad Wasim, the UAE Mohammad Wasim. He has he had not bowled at all. I mean, he had bowled some thirteen balls in representative T Twenty cricket. Now, on the verge of losing the the first time that they look like they're going to win a World Cup match, he comes in and bowls that over full of Yorkers against uh, Tim uh, David Visa, who who was who was like single handedly willing Namibia into the next round. That was what a no-word that was for somebody who doesn't bowl that often. And the other one was, of course, Naseem Shah's over to Joss Butler. Hmm. It was it was a fantastic over. It was all five players plays and misses. One very good ball, which Butler Butler plays a genius shot to, and it just goes for six. It And on another, on another day, it might have been somebody who slogs and gets a thick edge over third man for six. Anything can happen. But to have that, that over summed up T20 cricket for me, the bowling... So good, but still going for 11 runs is where, you know, bowling is important. Yes, but only so much. <laughs> and as usual, Sid ends up having the last word. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 you were supposed to have it, but I was, and, and you jumped the queue. <laughs>